Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. I hated all my toil, or all my work, or labor, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity, futility. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who is tooled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't work for it, who did not tool for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the tool and striving of heart with which he tools beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his tool. So Solomon here I don't think is schizophrenic. We're going to see this in a minute. He's just welcoming us into the tension of life in a fallen world. I'm going to read that again. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his tool. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that your spirit would take it and would show us where we need to change would show us maybe lies that we've been believing, would show us maybe disobedience we've been engaged in, or would show us ways that we just need to be comforted and cared for by your good news word. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've worked many jobs and on a spectrum of enjoyable to not enjoyable, probably about anywhere on there. But one job that I had for about three years was pretty much just a horrible experience. So the earliest I could, the latest I was able to sleep, ever sleep for this job was 3.30. So getting up between 2.30, 3.30 a.m. every morning. And then we'd go to this job, and it was a highly physical job. So, you know, you gotta, your body like gets up like that in the morning, and then you got to go, and there's, there's no like ramping up. It's like full-on, intense, physical work. And then you're working with a bunch of, this isn't a very nice way to talk, a bunch of well, I'm not going to say that anyway. A bunch of people hard to work with. <laughs> and you have bosses who, and I'll try to be gracious to them, they've got other bosses that are on their backs that are basically yelling at you the whole time to go faster and to work harder. And using the great leadership motivation tool of, hum of humiliation and shame. <laughs> you know, to mock you as you are not going fast enough. And you do this for about three years, right? And you just kind of like, man, is this life? This was not the life I was dreaming of when I was in high school or younger. And I had all these, you know, sort of crazy aspirations. And you're like, maybe some of you are thinking, well, why in the world are you doing it? Well, because our family needed insurance. You need insurance. You need to pay the bills. 
You need to survive. And so we find ourselves, I don't know, some of you are a little younger, singing that great classic Johnny Paycheck song, right? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. A woman done left and took all the reasons I was working for. Right? Because why? I'm just doing this job because I need to provide for these people. I'm just doing this job because I just need some money. And so if that's you this morning, you can take a, just take a deep breath and just realize the book of Ecclesiastes is God saying to us, I get it. I know that life is hard, and I know that sometimes work can be really hard, and I know sometimes even in the, when we have the best jobs, it is not always fulfilling. It's not always satisfying. And the thing about Solomon is, as we've seen in this book, is that he actually is not just having to go work that job I was talking about. This guy can have the best jobs. This guy actually can have his dream. This guy actually can say, this is what I want to do, and I don't have to worry about all of the financial attachments to it. And yet he's saying even that is not enough. Maybe we've been there. There's those of us in here, we've had to just do what we had to do, and it wasn't enough, and sometimes maybe you're like, well, I've got my hobby, my work, and this, and even it's not enough. But work is powerful in our lives. So as a church that believes that we don't want to just be about Sundays, but the everyday, is if, if we don't talk about work, then we're missing, for most of us, spend most of our lives. I mean, whether we want to admit it or not, where do you spend most of the hours of your, wake, your waking hours of your life? It's at your job. And so if we don't know how to understand how our jobs fit in the kingdom of Christ, then we're missing out on a lot. I mean, what if, and you can think out loud, sometimes we do this, hope it doesn't feel strange to you people. When someone asks you, hey, who are you, or Tell me about yourself. What's well, one of the first things we do? If somebody would say, who are you? What do we tell them? Where we work, right? And then, usually if we ask somebody, how are you doing? What's a common refrain do we get? Busy? What did you say? Good, how are you? Yeah, that's the, that's the churchy answer. Tired, Tired right? That's the, what I was thinking. So, what do you do, or who am I? We'd say our work, and then how are you? Well, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed. Now, I think there's a connection there. We're going to see today that work is good, work is from God, yet work is hard in a fallen world. But when our identity comes from our work, then we're living on a very flimsy foundation for the sustaining and the satisfaction of our souls. So we've got to, what we're going to just look in here through Ecclesiastes in our time this morning is how we must place our everyday work under the greater work of Christ. What does that mean? How do we get there? First of all, we've got we to kind of dive in here with Solomon and talk about the honest realities of work in a fallen world. So when we talk about this word vanity or futility, and some of your translations will even say meaningless, you know, 
it's just, we're talking, talking about fluency earlier. When you're bringing languages over, sometimes it's hard to get across the meaning from one language to the next. Solomon here is not saying, you know, our, all our work is meaningless, it's pointless. He, what he's saying is this is just the reality of life in a fallen world, and we've talked about this in regards to wisdom so far and our possessions, is that there are three qualities that disrupt the way that work happens in our world. And one thing is that it's fleeting. And so we see this in verses 18 and 19. So Solomon says, I hated my tool in which I told under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And then again in verse 19, he talks about this. I'm going to leave it to somebody, and they might not even care about it, right? Something I worked hard to achieve, they might put it in the yard sale or just go dump it off at Goodwill. Something that, like, say you're a, a, a teacher or you're a, working in some sort of business where you get to have a vision and a dream and do work, and then, you know, the government just changes the, the plans on you. Right? Hey, we're not doing that anymore. But I gave my whole life to it. <laughs> well, no longer relevant. Or, who knows, you give something to your children one day that you worked hard for them to have, and they just see dollar signs, right? And sell it immediately. It's fleeting. Right? Even in its best, it's fleeting. Solomon is going to have a son named Rehoboam, we don't have time to go read this in 1 Kings. But he's going to lose something like 80% of everything that Solomon achieved. It was a lot. Work is fleeting. It's frustrating. Verses 22 and 23. What has a man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he tools from beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. And even in the night, his heart does not rest. When we think about work in a fallen world, it's very frustrating. There's the physical demands. There's the mental energy. There's the emotional, emotional demands. And I think that's what he's saying. It's like sometimes as much as we want to just clock out, right, and go home, even in the night, our heart does not rest. We're just thinking about it. Man, i got to get up and go do that again tomorrow. Or man, that, that person that I work with, I'm going to kill them. You know, they, one more time, it's punching the throat. I don't care. You know, or why do I have to do this? My mama told me I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or, or whatever, you know. My school teacher said, you can be anything you want. And I realized being anything I want wasn't going to get me fed, <laughs> you know. Not trying to be a downer on that. Go after your dreams. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. But, I'll joke aside, Solomon's wanting you to get ready. Right? Some of us, maybe a little further down the road, just get ready. Even you might get your dreams, and you're like, whoa, this is still hard. This is still frustrating. And so that's the last thing. So these realities of life, whatever the topic is under the sun, they're fleeting, right? Right when you think you got it, I got it. It's like, where's it, where'd it go? It's grasping after the wind. They're frustrating. And they're futile. And futile, again, doesn't, just, doesn't mean meaningless. It's vanity. It means they just, they just never get all the way there. They just nev never kind of reach the purpose or the end to which, you know, you thought they were going to. 
And so this is Solomon's reaction as, as he says, man, just being honest here, right? Solomon, this, this, God's word, not to sound like a lame older person, keeping it real, right? <laughs> so it's like, I hated life. I mean, unless you're just like Mr. Fairy Dust, right? All of us in here have had days where we're like, man, I hate this. It's not that he hates God, and it's not that he just hates life. It's just in the Bible, this word hate is used as a term of contrast. It's saying, like, this, this, is, this just stinks, and comparatively, this is not what I prefer. This is not what is good. It's an evil business, he says in these verses. So he despairs. It's just this, you get to that point to where you finally just have to accept that it's fleeting, frustrating, and futile, right? And when, you, when that sinks in, it's kind of like you hit this wall in your life where it's like, wow, this is it. <laughs> There's no real gain, he says. And what he means when he says no gain, again, this, these are these words used all throughout this book, is not that there's no good that comes from it. We're gonna, so just chill out. We're going to get to the good news here in a minute. We've got to fill the weight. It's, it's, he's just saying, you know, for all my hard work, it, it didn't take away the reality that it's fleeting. It didn't take away the reality it's frustrating. And it didn't take away the reality that it didn't satisfy my heart to its greatest extent. Right? No matter how good it was, it didn't beat that. It didn't change that. There's no gain there. But hey, we all still got to go to work, don't we? We all got to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. There's a story of a, a make-believe story of a man whose name is Schmidt. It's called About Schmidt. He's an insurance agent, and he worked his whole life doing a great job as an insurance agent. And as he comes closer to the end of his life, he uh, writes a letter to someone, and this is what the letter says. We're going to get a little more depressing here. We need to feel this, though. God wants to prepare you for when you feel this. What in, the what in the world is better because of me? Once I'm dead, and then once everyone who knew me dies too, it will be as though I never even existed. <laughs> little Sunday morning cheer, right? Yeah, once I die, some people will remember me. Then once they die, right? We've already did this a few weeks ago. Most of us in here don't know who our great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother. We don't even know their name. He says, What difference has my life made to anyone? None that I can think of. None at all. Hope things are fine with you. Yours truly, Warren Schmidt. Now, this is not a Christian worldview. But what we have to realize is that the, the enemy, the world, and the flesh are not bringing us a Christian worldview. Right? They're telling us these lies. These are the things that are spoken into our minds at times or will be spoken into our hearts. And so what we have to do is we have to be discipled here from Solomon, from the Spirit through God's Word to be able to tell the truth to ourselves because maturity comes with honesty. We've got to tell ourselves the truth about the fleeting realities. We've got to tell ourselves the truth about it's frustrating. Right? We've got to drop the whole, um, it, how was work today? Fine. Eh, probably wasn't, right? You just don't want to talk about it, right? 
My wife's not in here. She's with little kids. You probably hear me. You know what I hate? Rehearsing my day again. I mean, I already lived it once. I don't want to do it again. So y'all pray for me that I'll live with my wife in an understanding way because it really serves her when I tell her about my day. But anyway, well, I don't want to do it, right? I already did it once. It's frustrating. But we can, it's good to say this is what was frustrating. Because even if you have the best job, it's frustrating. I remember I, I taught school for a little while. And you know, you think, well, I'm going to teach school, right? You're just going to be in here shaping and molding minds. And we've got some school teachers in here. But it's just not all of that. There's a lot of paperwork you got to do. And I remember reading something about it. It's like a, a chef, right, who can make the best steak. And so he wants to open up his restaurant, right? Because he wants everybody to enjoy this steak. But then he finds out owning a restaurant, making the steak is like a very small part of what it means to run a business. And even if you're just the cook, right? Well, I'm going to be the cook then. Then you still got to work with a bunch of boneheads like you. You do. And then technology's still not going to always work. And the futility that even the best jobs can't fulfill our purpose in life. And we've got to be able to get emotionally honest about how, man, this, I feel bad about this. this. This stinks. I'm wrestling with this. We have to get honest before God. We have to have some others we can get honest before. But as we go to God and we go to the people of God who have the gospel of God, where does God lead us? Well, he doesn't lead us into the pit, right? So if you're like, wow, why did I come this morning? I was living in denial and it was working pretty good. And now you just threw it all out there. All right, so what do we, what do we need to know? Where does God want to lead us? Well, first of all, if we've always got a place all of God's Word in light of the larger story of God we find in God's Word. And we have to realize that this, this frustrating life of work in a fallen world was not God's pattern and intention from the beginning. It's that God created the world, and the world He created was good. And even in God's creating of the world, what we see, God is the greatest worker in the world. God is a worker. I mean, that's why it says He rested from His Work. Work is not bad. And then he creates us in his image just to make this even more clear. And a big part of us being created in the image of God is he tells us to go now and exercise dominion over the world. What he's saying I want you to do is to go and I've, I've made this creation and it has all this untapped potential. It has all of these, these chemicals and minerals and opportunity. And I want, I'm just going to set you guys loose in this world to go work and figure it out and create stuff and do great art and do great crafts and build civilizations and communities that thrive together through work. He places Adam and Eve in the garden and he tells them to work it, to tend it, to keep it. And this is before sin. So if you're in here thinking, I can't wait until the eternity because there'll be no more work. Well, I've got good news for you. There will be work. But you all know there's, there really work, apart from the fallen realities of the world, is good. It is fulfilling. It is honorable. That's not how the story ended. So we're here, right? Humanity gives God the middle finger and says, we'll do it on our own. We don't need you. We'll be gods over this earth. 
we'll build towers, right? They rebel. They say, we're going to build stuff, but it's going to be about us. It's going to be about our glory. So this curse enters upon the world, the curse of death. It is not merely just about humans dying, a physical death, but it's a, it's, a, it's a disordering of all the creation. So as the curse comes into the world, Adam says, you know what? Or God says to Adam, that ground's not going to cooperate with you anymore. That stuff's still in there that you need to work, but now it's going to be a fight. Now there's going to be thorns and thistles and weeds. Grow a garden this year if you want to see if this is true. I'm not good at that. There's weeds. And you're going to, you're going to make idolatry now out of your work. It's going to happen, right? Some of you in here are workaholics, and others of you in here are working for the weekend. Right? Go one way or the other. Right? I'm going to live for my work, or I'm going to work so I can live. Neither one we're going to see are the responses of those who follow Christ. The relationships with one another are messed up. Our relationships with God and creation. And then yet we see the continued dignity and goodness of work to be reaffirmed in the story of God. As God calls His people Israel now to display Him in the world and to go and live in a land that it, really they're trying to go show the rest of the world a picture of what it looks like to be my people in this land like it was supposed to be in Eden. And he says, six days you shall work. That wasn't a penalty. It wasn't a judgment. It's like, I want you to show the world about me. And one way you're going to reflect my glory to the nations is you're going to work for six days and do good, hard work. And then you're going to rest to show that it's my work that ultimately that keeps this world running. And Israel doesn't really cooperate with that either. And so like Adam, they rebel, either finding their identity in their work or in their lack of work, and their exile. So this is where Jesus comes on the scene. This is where things get really good. Jesus worked. The Bible's not super explicit about this, but we... What we know is that his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter of some sort. And Jesus didn't begin his public sort of uh, ministry of proclaiming the gospel until he was 30 years old. And it's not like in, in our day where, you know, you like wait till you're 25 or 23 to get a real job, you know. It's, it's probably more like 10, 12 years old. You're working with dad. And so Jesus, the perfect son of God, probably slung a hammer for half his life, worked in a shop. It said he was, that was pleasing to his father. When Jesus talks about his work, even that the God his father had given him, Chris clicked through here, we see this is, these are the, little, go to John, we, we see these ways he talks. In John 5, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Later in, in chapter 5, verse 36, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, speaking of John the baptizer. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So he's describing his life in view of this is the work God gave me to do. And then lastly, in John 17, verse 4, 
as he's praying about the, the work he's now about to go to the cross and accomplish for God's people, he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus worked. The perfect Son of God worked. He worked hard and He worked for us. He worked to free us from the curse upon creation and our relationships that frustrate all of our work now. He worked to free us and give us redemption from all of the idolatries that come with our work. Whether you're a workaholic or you're working for the weekend, what's going on in that is you're actually probably working to justify yourself. This is what will make me right. I'm going to prove myself through my work. I'm going to be the best at this, or the most unique at this, or whether it be your, your day job, your hobby, or whatever it is, and this is going to justify my existence. And this can happen in the church world just as fast, right? As a pastor for most of my life, a preacher, there is nothing more tempting to me than to say, I am declared right by how well I do my church work. That's not a noble thing. That's called blasphemy. That's called replacing the work of Jesus with another work. And Jesus just this morning wants to set us free from that. That what you do does not define who you are. That's really good news, particularly in American culture. That what you do does not define who you are. He wants to set you free from that. Not so that now you're like, well, hey, I don't have to work. But so now you can go work. You can go work free. You can start your job every day under the banner of what Jesus said just a couple chapters later in John. It is finished. It is finished. I'm not going to work today to prove myself. If I stay at home, I'm not cleaning the house today in a certain way to prove myself. I'm not doing this even to find my approval before God. Jesus has accomplished all that for me. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be fleeting, frustrating, and futile. But Jesus, this same Jesus who died to cover all of the sin of my idolatries when it comes to work, is the same Jesus who rose from the grave. And so that means I can go fight those thorns and thistles today with hope. I can go do this job with hope. And I can do it for the glory of God. So I can believe the last part of Ecclesiastes too. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his tool because this is from the hand of God. God wants us to find joy in our work. But the only way we can find joy in our work is if we understand our work is from God and that any joy in it will be from God. And then verse 26, that our work is for God, for to the one who pleases Him, He has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And these, these last little verses, I'd be probably neglectful not to mention them. But to the sinner He's given the business and gathering, collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. He's not saying, yeah, well, God's people just, you know, they always win in life. No, if you've been with us so far, he's saying the exact, exact opposite of that. Right? You may work hard and the fool gets the promotion at work. 
But if you win a promotion apart from God, it's wind. That's what he's saying. It's grasping after the wind. It's vanity. It's not going to last. But those who follow Christ and live for his pleasure, they may not get the promotion at work. But they're the ones who will receive far greater from the Father, if not in this life forever. In 1924, there were two runners in the Olympics. And if you've ever watched the movie The Chariots of Fire, it's an old movie. You might like it. But it's about two runners in this movie, Eric Liddell and Harold Abrahams. Mainly about Eric Liddell. He was a devout Christian who represented Scotland. He was a missionary or a child of missionary parents. And many people believe, hey, if you really want to please God, you need to quit running, right? Because sometimes we get this weird idea in the church, right? Christian maturity means I go into the ministry. No, that, that's, not, that's not always true. So many people said, you need to quit running and you need to just go be a missionary. But Liddell believed that God had called him to race and to race for the glory of God. Now, Harold Abrahams, he ran from Great Britain. He, he took it seriously, he was obsessed with it, but he was obsessed with winning. He studied the sport. Gave his life to it. So in the movie, it's a contrast between them. They both run, but they run for different reasons. And one scene, Abraham says, listen to this. this. This may be how some of us can perceive our life's work. He said, in one hour's time, I'm going to be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. It's a dangerous place to be, right? To say my work justifies my existence. But will I? In a different scene, the contrast is with Eric Liddell, and he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. Tim Keller, in comparing these two runners depicted in the movie, states, and this, this is good, classic Keller, Harold Abrahams was weary even when he rested, and Eric Liddell was rested even when he was exerting himself. Think about that. Abrahams, because he, that's where he found his life's purpose, he was weary even when he rested. Wherever the verses are, right? In the night. Even my heart is weary. But Eric Liddell, even when he was just flat, exhausted from hard work, in his heart he had rest. Liddell finds satisfaction in Christ and experiences his joy as he runs. Now to the point here, talking about work and taking this a little farther, he says this, two artists paint a similar picture. One seeks joy in the painting and his... His thirst is never quenched. But the other seeks joy in God and feels pleasure as he paints. Feels God's pleasure as he paints. Two doctors perform surgery. One performs surgery because they feel the love of being needed and being successful. Another performs surgery for the glory of God and she senses God's pleasure as she operates. If you stay at home with children, two parents raise their kids. One seeks joy in her children and builds her life on their success. If they misbehave, she is crushed. 
as her identity takes a blow. Another parent finds her joy in God and offers her children to Him. And as she parents, she feels His pleasure. Her heart breaks when they misbehave, but her life is not broken. Can you imagine the freedom? Living into this freedom that God wants us to have when it comes to our work? few implications here as we sort of land the plane is that a lot of what we see in Ecclesiastes put within the story of God is that joy in work is a gift from God, both in creation and even to be fought for in a fallen world. Christian faith gives us a, a concept of the dignity of all work. All work. If we place it into the story, this is amazing. If you're a janitor, you're going to be a janitor one day. That is meaningful work. I want to yell that, but that would probably scare everybody. What you're going to go do is wage microbacterial warfare <laughs> against the fallen, frustrating realities in this world. And may we never look down our noses at anyone who has any job. Those jobs mean, they're, they're just as important as being a pastor. They're done for the glory of God. And even when they're not, they're still reflecting God's love and care and
God who gives us that 